The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. We are still in Psalm 119. Uh, this is summertime 119. Uh, hopefully that you guys have been joining me and my family this whole summer. Uh, we're going to read this psalm, we're going to read Psalm 119 every single day uh, for the whole summer. So uh, Psalm 119, uh, we're dealing with uh, the, uh, the third letter, uh, Aleph. Beit Gimel, so today is going to be Gimel, and uh, it's going to be in uh, verses 17 to 24. Now, emergency responders found Harold Storley in front of his house with a broken hip. They did their best to take care of him. As it turned out, that Claire uh, included attending to a task that actually injured Storley. He was tending his lawn. Now, according to Storley's grandson, the lawn was the pride and joy of his house. So essentially what happened is he broke his hip while he was mowing the lawn. So when the trio of EMTs finished responding to the other emergencies of the day, they contacted their supervisors and asked for an additional hour so they could finish the job that Storley had been unable to finish. One of the EMTs said, there was no hesitation from anybody. We talked, about our, uh, talked to our lieutenant and captain, and they were 100% behind us. We knew he'd be down for a while, so we figured the least we could do was go back and help out. We've done similar things before. We look at it like a family community. I've seen people with broken porches and replaced a couple of boards. If we see someone in need, we can go help and buy them groceries, and the department will refund us our money. So what happened here was the EMTs, after they helped him with his broken hip, they went back to his house and they finished mowing his lawn. In distress, in distress, his pride and joy, and you know, one of the things that would help him in his recovery was knowing that things got taken care of. That was an awesome thing for the EMTs to do. And many times in life, we can feel this way. We find ourselves on our backs, injured, immobile, paralyzed. We find that we can't deal with life, and we cannot even take care of what we would call our pride and our joy. So many times... We can also feel like we are all alone in our distress and we find that we just don't know where to go. We just don't know what to do. These are desperate times. These are the times where we find out so much about who we are and what we're made of. The desperate times, the difficult times, the times of distress. These are times where our faith is tested. It's revealed. Our faith is displayed. These are the regular season games. No more preseason. Preseason is over. Regular season games. The games are for real. The games, these games count. We see all that we've trained for. Everything that we've been training for, everything that we've been practicing for, everything that we have been preparing ourselves for, preparing our hearts for, all that we have suffered for, all that we have worked for, we're going to see all of that displayed. If that is indeed what you did, did we prepare for these times? For many of us, we find that we're not able. This is the killer 
family. This is the jump ship times. For a lot of times when I'm counseling Christians that are having difficult times, it's always during these times of distress, always these times of desperation with trials, tribulation, suffering. These are the times where all I'm trying to do is keeping you all from jumping the ship, just trying to keep you there. When, when I'm counseling, these are the moments where people will actually walk away from Christ. This is when some will find out that they have no faith at all. That's the thing. That's the beauty. If, if there is one thing that's beautiful about suffering, and I know that's just bizarre, but here we go. Pastor Shane talking about how beautiful suffering is. You know, he needs to get back on medication or something and fix some stuff, right? But, but here's the thing. One of the things that suffering does is it shows us what we really believe. When we get to these moments where things are difficult, when they're suffering, we're going to find out what we really believe. Sure, we can come to church all day long and everything is great. Everything is good. You know, uh, you just got your raise. Everything is fine. Everyone's good. Everyone's getting along. Your life is good. Everything's great. You come to church. Everybody's great. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's doing good. Worship, is, worship music is going good. Everything is great. You're worshiping God, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's easy to be like, Lord, you're great. Lord, I love you. Oh, I believe in you. I'll never forsake you, Lord. And then Monday morning, go to work. Woo! Everything changes. And now we're barely hanging on. This is what happens. These are the times. Suffering shows us what we're really made of. Suffering shows us if we really believe. Better to find out that we don't believe here on earth in suffering than finding out you don't believe when you're face-to-face with Jesus. Depart from me, I never knew you. Here we go. Here we go. Sometimes we're not able. Sometimes we find out that we don't have faith at all. And it's, it's like they say, it's easy to be an angel as long as nobody's ruffling your feathers. But then we find out that maybe we're not angels at all and many will walk away from the faith. Now then there are some, some of us, we just find out that maybe we're just not as strong as we think. Maybe we don't know as much as we think. We're not, we're not going to walk away from Christ, but in times of struggle, in times of suffering, we just become really dis, disgruntled. And we're questioning and we're not sure why God is doing this stuff. So we find out that we're not going to walk away from Christ, but we find that we're really weak in our faith. We heard all the discipleship warnings about the pastor telling us that we need to be discipled. We need to be strengthened. We need to keep our our, our face in the word. And we need to keep our face in prayer. That we need to keep our lives and our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And how we need to do all of these types of things. This is how we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord as a disciple. But some of us didn't listen. And now suffering comes and we just don't know how much longer we can take it. And the question is, why is God doing this to me? That's that's always the thing that happens, right? Why is God doing this to me? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? And I'm saying it again because I said it before. I'm going to say it again. You are going to be a king or a queen in the kingdom of heaven. Do you know that? Did you know that the Bible says that we're going to rule over angels? 
That's what's going to happen. So for the sake of the angels, let's learn and grow and mature. Let's become good, well-trained kings and queens of the kingdom of heaven when we go there. So the angels are not going, oh man, I got a sign to Shane. That dude couldn't handle no suffering down on earth. Every single time there was a problem, the dude was jumping ship. And he's going to rule up. This is going to be a long millennia. We're being trained. What do you think's going to happen when we're being trained? For the sake of the angels, let's not be fools. And then, going through difficult time, feeling weak, all this stuff is bad, and then, da-da-da-da, we hear from the pulpit on Sunday, it's declared that for all of you that are in distress, all of you that are going through a difficult time, our comfort is found in Christ, and the guidance that we need will come from his word. We all nod our heads and we go, yep, that's true, amen, but (laughs) I've done this, Shane. You have no idea how much I've done this. I try. I go to difficult times. I try. I sit down and I read my Bible. And I get on my knees and I pray. But it doesn't help. It does not give me comfort. It doesn't help. My problems just don't go away. And I'm trying. I'm trying, man. I read. And it does not help. I pray. It does not help. Family, do we realize that it is the Lord who will sustain us through the trial? We got to get this. We got to get this. We got this right. He's going to sustain us through the trial. It's the Bible that's going to give us wisdom and comfort through the trial. Isn't this the pattern of the scriptures? Like, we, we want, we, we got to see and we got to understand that God wants to take us through the trial. He doesn't want to eject us out of it. But see, that's, that's what I feel like we, we're, we're looking for. I, I go through the Bible, I read the Bible, I pray and I ask God and God doesn't make the problems go away. He doesn't take me out of it. He doesn't make me feel better. Because the point is, is we're supposed to go through the trial. We're supposed to make it through the trial. We're supposed to overcome the obstacle. God's not going to sit there and let you quit. I mean, think about this. Even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to get thrown in the furnace. You know what I'm saying? We look at them and be like, yeah, God rescued them. Yeah, but what do you think was going through their mind where it's like, you know, God's going to rescue us. God's going to rescue us. God's going to rescue us. And then, I guess God's not going to rescue us. I mean, you know what I'm saying? They still had to get thrown in the furnace. Could God have stopped it before they even lit the furnace? He could have. But he wants us to go through the trial. So while you are going through your trials, while we're going through our suffering, while we're going through the fire, when people look at you, they see Christ standing there with you. And God is glorified. Oh man, it's amazing. This is amazing. 
We still have to go through the trial. And here we go. I'm just, this is still the introduction, but let me show you something really quick. I'm going to give you the prosperity gospel killer scripture. <laughs> this, is, this is the one that kills it all. All that nonsense we're hearing out there. I know we want it to be true, but the reality is this is not. Listen to what happened here. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. You start getting somebody that's coming over there and just being like, hey, you know, you know, it's God's will for us to not suffer. It's God's will for us to not go through difficulty. It's God's will for us not to be persecuted. It's God's... When you hear all that kind of stuff, you go right to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. You see, they were rejoicing and they were encouraging them. Look at how, remember, think back, how you remained faithful while you were going through terrible suffering. What kind of suffering? Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule. Sometimes we don't like that. We get ridiculed and we're already wanting to push the eject button. Exposed to public ridicule. You were even beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You had to make sacrifices for other people. You suffered along with those who were thrown in prison. And the idea of this stuff is that they're wrongfully thrown in prison. And when all, of, when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Why is that big? Could God have stopped them from taking everything they owned? Absolutely, but he didn't. And look, look at what happened. Look at what happened. I, I, I'm like, for me, it's like, that's one of the things. When I go to heaven, I, of course, the first thing I want to do is I want to see Jesus. I want to hang out with Jesus. I want, you know, I want to ask, you know, certain questions. You know, I want to ask, I want to talk to Solomon about, you know, his wives. Like, was that necessary? You know, all that. I, and then, uh, you know, I want to, I want to find out what Nathan was doing under the tree, you know, and then, um, if you know the story, you, you understand that. <laughs> and, and the other thing too, I want to find out who these people were. Like the Hebrews, the Hebrews 10 passage, you know, the verses 32 to 34, that the people that lost everything, I want to see them. Can I meet these people? This is extraordinary what happened. And when you look at this, you're seeing, wait a minute, these people were ridiculed, they were beaten, they were persecuted, they, sac they sacrificed, they suffered, and everything that they owned was taken from them, and they were still rejoicing and being faithful to the Lord. Man, being a disciple of Christ, the Holy Spirit can empower an individual so much so that all of this can happen to you and you're still faithful to God. This displays power. This displays the glory of God. Family, it's the supernatural word of God that's going to guide us through the difficult times and the suffering we go through. We will be able to stand even when we feel like we're alone. We will be able to stand when all is lost and all have abandoned us. We will be able to stand because though we may feel we may feel like it. The word declares that Christ will never leave us 
nor forsake us. Psalm chapter 119, verses 17 to 24. Be good to your servant that I may live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instruction. I am only a foreigner in the land. Don't hide your commands from me. I am always overwhelmed with a desire for your regulations. You rebuke the arrogant. Those who wander from your commands are cursed. Don't let them scorn and insult me, for I have obeyed your laws. Even princes sit and speak against me, but I will meditate on your decrees. Your laws please me. They give me wise advice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. May it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And help us today to hide your words in our heart that we might not sin against you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is how the purpose of life and the reason why we live is to serve the king. Amen. Second, we're going to see a vivid picture of what it means for us to be foreigners in the land. And third, we will take an honest look at ourselves and see that it is Christ and Christ alone where we find salvation. So the thesis statement today is this. The thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to lose sight of truth in confusion, in the confusion of distress, it is the word of God and the power of the spirit that will cause us to see the truth of the God gospel, salvation, and the sufficiency and value of Christ and his word. Number one, we live to serve. We do not live to sin. We live to serve. Amen. Woo. This is a big one here. We don't live to sin. We live to serve. Clearly, we see at the beginning the identification of the, of the psalmist to be the servant of the Most High. This is a very important Hebrew word here for servant because it can also be translated slave. Okay, but you know, people tend to not want to use that word these days. But it's servant in light of the idea of slave. Now, watch this because this is very, very important. And most importantly, as he proceeds through his trials and his tribulation, he shows and knows that his hope is in God and in God alone. See, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing that we struggle with today. It's like we know God can help us, but if God doesn't help us, I have a plan B. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm praying God's going to help me. But if he doesn't, maybe I'll give my uncle a call because he's got a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. Maybe he can bail me out of this situation or something. We have a plan B. But the psalmist is making something very, very clear. That the only thing that's going to pull him through, that's going to help him, that's going to comfort him during this time is not the knowledge of something in this world is going to help me but the knowledge that his hope is in God and in God alone. And his appeal, he makes the, the appeal as a servant looking for grace and generosity of his master. He's not looking for a reward. 
and he's not looking for a legal claim. And I think this is why sometimes I think we get confused and why we lose it in our, in our walk a little bit is because we look at these times when we're going through difficult times or when we're needing God to do certain things and God, you know, is, is not doing it for whatever reason or we decide, you know what, I got to pray and I got to ask God. You have not because you ask not. So we ask God. And it's almost like we're appealing to him like, God, come on, you know what? I, I've been good. I've been a good servant. I've been obedient. I've done this. I've done that. You know, for crying out loud for the last five years, you know, I went to church at Central Baptist Church and I had to endure Pastor Shane's preaching. That's got to count for something, God. I, I think that I'm entitled to some kind of reward. Whoa. And so when it doesn't happen, we get mad. We get disgruntled. We feel like God owes us. And so now it turns into like a legal claim where it's like, but you know, God, you promised me, man, and you didn't, you, you didn't come through. You know, you, you're, not, you're not holding up your end of the deal. So we get upset. We get mad. Now, again, I'm being pretty graphic about this, but this is, in a sense, a lot of the, the times when I'm having conversations, this is what we're really saying. Maybe not that forthright, but, you know, we're saying it in certain ways. What he's doing is he's appealing to him as a servant. He's not saying, I, I, I deserve a reward. He's not bringing up any kind of legal claim. He's just on his knees asking God and resting on his grace and his generosity. This is what uh, Spurgeon said. Spurgeon says this, the psalmist is asking God to let his wage be according to God's goodness and not according to his own merit. Reward me according to the largeness of your generosity, not according to the meagerness of my service. This is important because the thing is, is we've got to understand that there is no possible way that we could ever put God in our debt, that God would ever owe us anything. There's no way that could happen. You see this very clear in Luke chapter 17, verse 10. Luke 17, 10, this is about the unprofitable servant, you know, where, you know, he, the servant did his work. And then at the end, he's like, is, is, you, know, you know, why don't you, you done a great job? Why don't you, no, no, no. He says, Serve me, and then after that, you can have your meal. So he says this in Luke 17, 10, in the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. So when you're looking at God and saying, hey, God, you know, you owe me today. I, I was good. This past weekend, I was really good. I can remember times where, you know, there was a moment where I was going to steal something and I said, you know what? I remember in your word, thou shalt not steal. So I didn't, I obeyed you. There was a time, you know, where I was going to dishonor my father and mother. And I said, you know, you said, don't dishonor your father and mother. So I didn't, I was obedient. I, I kept the Sabbath holy, man. I went to church, I, I kept it, I did it. I obeyed you. Come on, God, you owe me. And God is looking at you and saying, you know what? I'm glad that you did that. But you're supposed to do that. Amen. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. 
And even if, even if, let's just say, you lived your entire life and you never, ever, ever broke the law and you obeyed the law perfectly and you say, God, you owe me, I'm perfect, I did everything that you asked, all God's gonna do is look at you and just say, good job. But you only did what you're supposed to do. We just did our job. How are we ever going to get to that place? So when we approach God, especially when it's times of difficulty and suffering, we don't go over there and try to, to twist his arm, to try to manipulate him, to try to use his word to manipulate him to get what it is that we want. Get that in our minds. Well then, Shane, why are we doing all of these good works? If it's not going to make it any better and I'm not going to put God in our debt, why am I doing this? Well, number one, I don't obey my father, my earthly father, because I'm trying to get in his good graces. I'm already in his good graces, so why am I obeying him? Because I love him. Amen. So we obey God simply, number one, because we love him. And number two, Martin Luther said, God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor does. And my brothers and sisters, they need my good works. You know, there was something that happened this past week. I'm going to embarrass my son. I may not embarrass him. It may actually make him look bad, but I'm going to tell him anyway. I'm going to tell it anyway. This is the problem. This is one of the things that happens when you're a pastor's kid. But I'll tell you what, it was something that happened this past week that really, really touched my heart and it actually brought tears to my eyes. When my son went to Chick-fil-A and he called and he asked if I wanted anything and if his sisters wanted anything. And went, got Chick-fil-A. I didn't want anything because, you know, I'm still recovering, so everything that I think about makes me sick. Like, don't even talk to me about Hamburger Helper. I, that instantaneously makes me want to puke. Um, he brought Chick-fil-A home for his sisters. And you know what? I don't know what it, it was about that. But it was just like, as a father, that was huge. And I'm looking at my, you know, my, the sisters, even if they're not thankful, they, they were. But even if they weren't, you know, just, you know, just eating it, I just... That was really awesome of Scott to do that. And then immediately thought, I wonder if this is what God feels when we help our brother and sisters in need. That was just a huge revelation for me. But how awesome is that? And that's what made that Martin Luther statement mean so much more. That, yeah, God doesn't need our good works. I, I don't need any food right now, but your sisters do. It's just, I don't know, maybe it was just me. Uh, some of you guys are wondering whether you should say amen or not, but, you know, that's okay. <laughs> so this makes even more emphatic that our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. And when we appeal to God, it is because of his grace and his generosity. He doesn't owe us anything. For to be a man without the unmerited favor of God is the same as a dead man. You're never going to put him in his debt, but if you got his favor... That's something else. And, to, and the cry is to live. There is nothing wrong with wanting to live. But to live is not to sin. To live is to serve the Lord. Matthew Henry, he writes this beautifully. Um, he says this, Life 
is therefore a choice mercy because it is an opportunity of obeying God in this world where there are so few that glorify him. And this David had in his eyes, not that I may live to grow rich, to live and be merry, but that I may live and keep thy word, that I may observe it myself and transmit it to those that shall come after, which the longer I live, the better I shall do. That every breath that we take, every move that we make, we make, it's in the direction and purpose to obey his word and bring glory to our Lord. For every beat of my heart will cause me to incline to the wonders of the word of God and see him glorified in all things. And for every thought and every plan that I have in my mind will be to meditate and to treasure that is the word of God to bring endless glory to our prophet, priest, and king, Christ Jesus. That's the whole purpose of why I'm living. That's the whole purpose as to why I'm here. See, the pattern of this world, the enemy, the pattern of this world, they they assert that the purpose of living is pleasure. The purpose of living is success, however you're going to define that. The purpose is success. The purpose is wealth. The purpose is popularity, prosperity. Uh, The purpose is knowledge. The purpose is advancement. Fame, social media followers. And according to Kaiser, our purpose is to not survive, but to thrive. (laughs) That's what the world tells us. But what we see here in the passage of scripture is we live to follow the living God. To live to obey the word of the living God. Live to declare the goodness of the gospel of Jesus. We live to be a vessel of peace. We live to be a disciple of Christ who loves others and shows the world that we belong to Christ. That we live to overcome the world by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony and not loving our lives even unto death. That we live to love the law of God, that we live to glorify the Lord, that we live to harvest the fruit that comes from obedience to the word of God, to live to demonstrate to the world that the word of God is more valuable than millions in gold and silver, to live to walk in step with the truth of the gospel, to live to be salt and light in this world, to live to shine like stars in the universe. And we thank the Lord for all eternity for the life and life more abundant that we have in Christ. That's why we live. That's why we live. That's why we move. And that's why we have our being for Christ and Christ alone. And we need this because I'm a foreigner. I'm a foreigner in this land. Our citizenship is in heaven. Right? Point number two, a foreigner. Citizenship is in heaven. Now, we've got to understand the implications of what this means for us to be foreigners in this world and citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's so many things that we get from this, but I want to focus in on one thing uh, when it comes to this. Those whose home is this world, they are concerned about the things in this world. 
oh, hang on. You'll get this. Is this this huge? Those whose home is this world, they're the ones that are concerned about the things of this world, what this world will provide and the ease and luxury that it promises. So if we're consumed with the things of the world, if we're consumed with the prosperity and luxury of this world, when we're consumed with that, the question that you have to ask is, where is your citizenship? Do you think that this is your home? Why are you storing up here? Why? Why are we storing up here when in reality, this is not my home? I am a foreigner. This is not my home. For those of us who are foreigners in this world, we are on a journey. We are foreign exchange students. You see foreign exchange students when they come over here trying to buy a house? <laughs> Randy, when you were in Mongolia, were you trying to acquire a property? We are here to learn, to study, to be trained. Our home and our inheritance is in heaven. That's why we don't get caught up, uh, caught up and engrossed in the perishable things that this world provides. I mean, look at it. Look at it, family. Look at all the people that we've seen over the last five years all the people who had all the money in the world, all the fame in the world, everything that the world could provide and in the end, nothing to live for. Nothing. Is this all the world has to provide? That's what they say. We don't get caught up. We don't get engrossed in the perishable things that the world promises. And we see countless times when people acquire everything that the, Lord, uh, that the world promises. It still doesn't make them happy and it still doesn't bring them fulfillment. It still doesn't. So here's the other thing. You are visiting a place that all they have to offer is nothing you want. Seriously, you're in a country where the only thing you can do is ride a tricycle. Oh, so I'm going to abort my life for the tricycle when, you know, I have a brand new SUV at home. At home, I eat steak, I eat lobster, pork chops sometimes when, you know, it's not on, when steak's not on sale. And, and, and here we eat saltine crackers. And sometimes you go over to the, the president's house and they splurge and they give you Ritz crackers. <laughs> there's, a, there's a town, a small town that me and Janine visited once and we went and visited the church and he was just like, yeah, Shane, man, we're, 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 we're fans. They were, they were fans of our, our dude. Oh, no, no, it wasn't fan. It was a professor. Or was, anyway, he was just like, yes, we're, we're going to celebrate today because this is awesome. We didn't think that you guys were going to come, but this is awesome. We're going to take you out to lunch and we're going to splurge. We're going to go all out. And me and Janine's like, wow, all right, man, this is great. So we're going to go to Wendy's. And all the kids were like, woo, woo, woo. Everyone was just excited. 
And we were like, Wendy's, okay. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm good with a Dave's double. I mean, I'll take that, but. But you know, it was like they brought it up and you come to find out the town was so small that that's kind of like the place. That was the place, man. You know, the mayor of the city, you know, all the, all the high up people, yeah, they're all there. Well, okay. Just visiting. We don't invest in these things because we don't belong here. We are just visiting. How foolish would it be for us to store up property, furniture, food sources, storage, cars, houses, trucks, businesses, when we're just visiting? You can't take those things on the plane. Everything that we're investing here, you can't take when you go to heaven. We get this stuff where we live. Are we storing up treasure in heaven? Because that's our home. That's the idea of understanding that we are a foreigner in the land. Family, do we believe that we're just foreigners in the land? And this foreigner, the psalmist, is asking our king for the necessary support for our time. And yeah, when we're visiting, we need support, but we only need the necessary support. And what is he saying is the necessary support for the time. The psalmist is yearning for the word of God. For us here as, as Christians, while we're here, foreigners, strangers in the land, we say to the Lord, take away all the earthly possessions and we're okay. Take not thy word from me. Just don't take your word from me. You take away your word and I'm done. If we don't have the word, we have nothing. Uh, another thing that Spurgeon said that I thought was really good. Since nothing around me is mine, what can I do if I lose your word? Since no other people around me know or care to know the way to you, what will I do if I fail to see your commands by which alone I can guide my steps to the land where you dwell? Psalmist is making it clear that his only comfort as a foreigner is the word of the living God. It's the scriptures that describe to us the wonder and beauty of our real home. It is the scriptures that shows us the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. You guys don't know that song? Okay. It's the scriptures that show us the way to go home. It shows us the way home. What in the world is the point of God opening up our eyes when the greatest thing for us to see is hidden from us? It's no point. If the words that remind us and teach us of all the beauty and wonder and the promises of God of our inheritance in heaven is hidden from us, what a travesty it would be. What if we are, what if we're out to sea without a compass? What if we're in the forest without a map? In high school, what, 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 where are we in the high school lunchroom without a friend? It's all bad. All bad. I am a stranger in the land. 
Please be gracious to me as you desire us to be gracious to foreigners, sojourners, visitors in our homes. Don't hide it from me. This is a real thing. This is a vivid thing. This is an eye-opening thing for us because what we've got to see and know, God will do this. Oh, yeah. That's one of the things that I'm very, very uh, cautious of when it comes to modern evangelicalism today. How we treat the Bible today is a travesty. And you better believe that God will hide his word from us. He will shut our eyes and our hearts from it. Amos chapter 8, verses 11 to 13. Amos chapter 8, verses 11 to 13. The time is surely coming, says the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Beautiful girls and strong men will grow faint in that day, thirsting for the Lord's word. A famine in the land. A famine in the land. And as we close today, we also see at the end of the psalm that God will rebuke some. It's pretty clear. He's going to rebuke the arrogant. He will bring a curse upon those who turn away from his word. God will stop those who scorn and insult his people. Even when leaders in our country come against us, we pray that God will uphold us. And for us, we look and we're thankful that the Lord is going to be just. I'm thankful that I find my hope that all these things and all the people and everything that's coming against me, I am thankful that the Lord is going to help. I'm thankful that the Lord will deal with those who are in opposition to his word, deal with those who will not follow his commands. We are thankful that he will deal with those who insult us. He will deal with those who scorn us. All the people in high places of authority, they will have no power over me when they come against me. With our God, the justice of our cause will shine like the noonday sun. We sit back and we say, yes, God, go get them. And this is truly, truly. God will get them. God's going to get them. And we are always eager for God to dish out his justice, isn't it? But what if the real problem is we're the offenders? Oh, it's easy for us to be like, God, they're arrogant. Those people are disobedient. They're not following your word. They are mean to people. Some of them are in in authority. You said you were going to go get them. And God's just like, yeah, I am going to go get them. Why don't you go join them? Whoa, you weren't ready for this today, were you? Buckle your seatbelt. What if we're the problem? You know, this is one of the things that I think is interesting. You know, like uh, I was talking about the Psalms. Like when we go through the Psalms and, and when you're out there ministering and when you're out there doing what it is that God calls you to do, the opposition is there. So I can resonate with what the psalmist is saying. I can resonate because there's opposition and everything coming. And some people say, well, you know what, Shane? You know, I, I've gone through the Psalms and, you know, and, and I, just, I just can't get with David and I can't get with the psalmist when he talks about the opposition, the difficulty, the hardship, people coming against me and all that kind of stuff. 
I, 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 can't, I, I can't understand that. I don't get it. And every once in a while when I'm feeling really honry, I said, well, maybe because that's you. Maybe you're the one that's causing the problem. Maybe you're the opposition. Maybe you're in that camp. Let's be honest today. Come on, family, let's be honest. If you're good, you're good. Let's be honest. Is that us? Is that who we are? None of that stuff is happening to me right now. Maybe because it's you. What if we are the arrogant? What if we are the ones turning away from the word of God? What if we are those who scorn? What if we are those who insult people? What if we are the person of authority speaking against the innocent? What if that's us? Because if it is us, this is the truth. This is the word of God. The judgment of God is real. And the judgment of God is coming. It's real and it's coming. The psalmist is not wrong. God will come against these offenders and there will be no escape. And there's nothing we're going to say to be able to talk ourselves out of it. Wow, Shane, that's pretty bleak. But family, I'm just being honest. It's the truth. We can sit down and I can show you from Genesis to Revelation Every single time God promised to judge, he did. Amen. Even those moments, you know, you'd be like, well, but Shane, you know, you know he, he talked to Moses that one time and, you know, Moses talked him out of it. Yeah, I know. But we got what God said still happened, didn't it? It's real. And it's coming, family. So, so Shane, okay, Shane, you got me. I'm terrified now. I'm, I'm worried. I'm, I'm freaking out now. I, I got one question for you, and it's the only question that matters. Can I be saved from this? Absolutely. Hear me today. You can be saved today. Because though all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Though there is no one righteous, no, not one. Though there is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. Though the wages of sin is death. Though the wicked will be cast into the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Though we are all by nature children of wrath. God did not abandon us. Our heavenly father did not forsake us. He sent his son, Jesus. Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus came into this world to seek and save that which was lost. And family, the promises continue. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of this is written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing, you will have life in his name. This is all in the word of God from a God, the living God, who cannot lie, and all of his promises are yes and amen. This is the truth of the gospel, family. Today, there's salvation. Today, there's hope. Today, there's life and life more abundant. This is the beautiful news and promise of the living God who cannot lie. From the word of God, which is more valuable than millions in gold and silver, there is no doubt why the psalmist yearns for the word. He desires the word. Why he pleads for its light. This is the word of the Lord. This is Gimel. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will remain forever. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.